Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw close to you. May we thirst for the water that your love brings us. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. The tax collectors, John actually said, Collect no more than what is appointed to you. In other words, stop cheating people. Stop trying to walk on others to make yourself into a better position and place. You see, you don't have to be a tax collector to do that. Stop taking advantage of other people for your own benefit. That can be in a multitude of things, whether that be in in finances or in time or whatever it might be. As Pastor David continues his teaching series through the Gospel of Luke, he'll be explaining what genuine repentance looks like. John the Baptist rebukes the Pharisees and tax collectors because they chose to live for themselves rather than thinking of others. Jesus himself demonstrated for us what it looks like to be selfless. He died on the cross for us in order to give us salvation, even though we didn't deserve it. God calls us to be selfless and others-centered, just like our Lord. Now here's Pastor David with today's message entitled, Fruits of Repentance. been members here at this church for three generations. My family and I are charter members of this church. Why my family has financially held this church together for years. And believe me, folks, I've heard each one of these. Praise God, I don't believe that I've heard them here with this fellowship, but I have heard them in other churches that we've been a part of. What John is saying here is basically your position, your status, your title really doesn't mean very much in the kingdom of God because it's an earthly position. It's earthly status because God can very easily raise someone else up into that position and into that place at any time. What matters most is your heart and your heart's response to the spirit of God. These Pharisees and Sadducees, they were fakes. They were were frauds. They were hypocrites. They looked religious, but they weren't redeemed. They were nothing more than just religious-looking sinners, okay? Now, I look out on the crowd this morning, and I realize we're all sinners, amen? Yeah, a few of you, yeah, amen. uh, That ought to be as hearty as that earlier amen, you know? But there should be a difference. We are redeemed sinners, and that's a whole lot more different. Bad English, but it's a lot more different than religious sinners, Okay, There's a lot of religious sinners that darken the doors of churches every week and throughout the week. Religious sinners, but not redeemed. We need to be redeemed. And there's a world of difference between being religious and redeemed. John knew that these Pharisees, that these Sadducees, they were religious, 
but they had not repented. Therefore, they were not redeemed. And so he gave them this very strong warning. He said, even now in verse nine, even now the ax is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. John came as the one preparing the way for the Messiah. God had revealed to them that soon, very soon, the Messiah was going to appear. And so I'm sure that the words of the Lord through Malachi, the prophet that had spoken hundreds of years prior, were in John's head even as he spoke that day. The Lord had spoken through Malachi hundreds of years prior to John the Baptist these words. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts. It will leave them neither root nor branch. The time of judgment was soon at hand, and yet even at that, they still had time to repent. Do you catch that? These guys came down to be baptized, and John says, no. You go and do works and deeds of repentance. There was still an opportunity for them to change their lives, to change the focus and the drive of their lives. And instead of being religious, to truly be redeemed, there was still that opportunity. And even today, just like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, if you truly desire to be a part of God's kingdom, then you need to have a changed heart. Jesus said, you need to be born again. You need to possess a heart and a spiritual life that will bear good fruit. Otherwise, your, your life and your heart is a demonstration that you really aren't a part of the kingdom of God. And according to God's word, you're destined to be cut down and thrown into the fire. So, what's hanging on your tree? Teaching about John the Baptist's ministry is fun stuff, isn't it? <laughs> Well, it is if, you're, if you are among the redeemed. But if you're not among the redeemed, then it hopefully will cut to the very core of your life. If you are part of the kingdom, if you're walking in obedience, then we look at this and say, wow, Lord, you, you saved me in spite of me. Thank you, Lord. Oh, for your grace, for your mercy that we sang of this morning. But if you're not walking in obedience and if you're not really a part of the kingdom, my prayer this morning is the teaching would cut into the very core of your heart because I'd rather you be cut to the core of your being and repent here today than to later be cut down and thrown into the fire. So what's hanging on your tree? Let's move on because there's also this great multitude of others here, not just these religious hypocrites, but there's a multitude of people all around John that are probably like most of us today. They want to do the right thing. They want to honor God in their lives. And they just didn't know how best to do that. So the people ask him saying, what shall we do then? This is verse 10. Now they ask an honest, they ask a very practical question. And John gave them an honest and a practical answer. Look at what he says in verse 11. He answered and said to them, he who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. Well, some might say, well, that's a social gospel. Well, I don't look at it so much as a social gospel, but it's a gospel that impacts the society that we live in. And beloved, if we truly are a part of the kingdom of God, 
we ought to impact in a positive way the society that we're living in. We're going to have an opportunity, uh, even as a church here in a couple of months, to join together with Trinity Lutheran Church as well as some other churches in the area with a Habitat for Humanity rebuilding of a house here in Casa Grande. This house, they're going to have to take the entire roof and all the trusses off, nearly gut the entire thing, and they're looking for volunteers from the faith community, that's part of who you are, uh, from the faith community to come together with various others. That means cross-denominational lines, and that means we got to rub elbows, and I was joking with Mark Chase, the pastor over at Trinity Lutheran, and I said, you mean we've got to work with Lutherans? We joked about that because that's a wonderful thing. And we're going to be doing it not for a member of Mark's church, not for a member of our church, not for a member of any church. So far as we know, this lady, single mom with four children, doesn't go to church anywhere. But you know what? She's going to be out at that work site. And so every day when we're out there working, whether it be folks from our fellowship or from another fellowship, we can share the love of Christ. And we can do it in a tangible, real way by helping build a house for her. If you've got two tunics... And you need to give to one that doesn't have any. Do the finances of your life demonstrate the fruitfulness of righteousness within your life? Or does it demonstrate the selfishness of life? Let's move on before he starts meddling. Verse 12 says, then the tax collectors, that's the IRS agents of the time, okay. They came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Nothing, there's no hope for you guys. No. (laughs) There's hope even for IRS agents, okay? I'm reminded of the time years and years ago, I was was preaching actually in uh, Proverbs chapter six and a portion of that Proverbs has one of those verses that say that there's, you know, five things that the Lord disdains. Yes, there's even six. And so I started enumerating these five things. I got down to the sixth one and I said, and the sixth one was used car salesman. And of course that got a big laugh, you know, what I tried for. And after the service, we were a fairly small fellowship at that point in time. After the service, uh, a visitor, of course, uh, came up to me and with a big smile on his face and pastor really enjoyed that message. Really, really spoke to me. Oh, great. Glad to have you. And he said, and by the way, I'm a used car salesman. <laughs> so uh, after I tried to fall all over myself in apology, he laughed and he said, no, no, I, I understood what you're saying. It's not a problem. Not a problem. Well, if you're here today or you're listening in on the radio or, or you're on the internet and you work for the Internal Revenue Service, let me share two quick things with you. Number one, there is hope even for you. Okay. And number two, Make sure and hold on to all of your old emails, okay? Don't, don't lose your emails. Some of you will understand that. Some of you won't. Okay, enough of this. Let's get back. To the tax collectors, John actually said, collect no more than what is appointed to you. In other words, stop cheating people. Stop trying to walk on others to make yourself into a better position and place. You see, you don't have to be a tax collector to do that. Stop taking advantage of other people for your own benefit. That can be in a multitude of things, whether that be in in finances or in time or whatever it might be. As a matter of fact, time and time again through the scripture, and we'll look at this in a moment, the word says we ought to look out for the benefits of others before we look out for our own benefits. Beloved, that's kingdom living. It's not the way that the world does it. I understand that. But it is 
kingdom living. He says in verse 14 that likewise the soldiers ask him, saying, what shall we do? And so he said to them, don't intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. Be content with your wages. Let's just throw that one out there for a moment, okay? I don't believe that these Roman soldiers were going to their superiors and saying, hey, I'm discontent with my wages. I don't believe that they went with a formal thing and said, you know, I've been with you so many years and this is the jobs that I do and I'm wondering if I might be able to get a raise. I, I don't believe that that's what's going on. I believe that what was going on was the murmuring and complaining among the ranks. The way my boss treats us, man, can you imagine? He's asking us to work overtime this week and he knows what's going on. Mumbling and murmuring and complaining. Do you remember when the children of Israel came out of Egypt as they were crossing the wilderness. Remember the great sin of their life was murmuring and complaining. Now, if you have a righteous and a right thing to bring to your boss, then bring it to your boss. But don't murmur and complain among the ranks. You know what that does? That just causes strife. That just builds up anger among others. It brings dissension. That's not kingdom living. Divisiveness is of the enemy. He says, don't intimidate anyone. Don't accuse them falsely. Beloved, these are just regular, normal things that you and I, we would think that we as the body of Christ would understand. We shouldn't live our lives that way. But I've known Christians serve the Lord and wanted to even serve in ministry, and yet a lot of their personality was almost intimidation. That's how they motivated people. That's not of the Lord. That's of the enemy. Now you need to understand that as John looks at these people, I don't believe that it was necessarily a spiritual gift of knowledge that the Lord was giving him as these people came up and said, you know, what do we do? I believe that John clearly understood the society that he lived in. And I believe that the society that John lived in in that day isn't a whole lot different than the society we live in today. Oh, sure, we have more technology and we have paved roads and we have air conditioning, but you know what? The heart of the people remains the same. I believe that he understood that by and large, people were selfish and they cared more about themselves than they did others. I believe that John knew that the practice of these publicans or these tax collectors was to take more taxes in order to fatten their own wallets at the expense of others. He had seen that in his life. There's no doubt that he had seen the way of these Roman soldiers of how they treated the people that they were over, that they were responsible for. And undoubtedly, he had probably even heard the fact that they were never content with their wages. John knew that if someone said that they loved the Lord and were following him in their lives, their lives would look dramatically different than the others within their culture. Different than the ones within the culture of the first century. Different than it looks today in our culture. John wanted them to practice their faith, to live it out knowing that true repentant hearts and a commitment to God would change a life. There'd be fruits of righteousness in their lives. So, what's hanging on your tree? What would John have said to the church today? What would John have said if he walked into our church today? I believe the first thing he would ask is, has your commitment 
your commitment to Jesus Christ, has it really changed your life? Or have you just become religious? Does your place in the kingdom of God affect your attitudes and your actions in the world's kingdom? I believe that John would look at a group even just like we are this morning. And he'd say, if you truly are a believer, if you really have given your life to Jesus Christ, then you ought to really care about the needs of others that are around you. I believe he might say, and you need to stop cheating on your time card. You need to quit stealing from your boss, whether it be material goods or time. And you need to stop cheating on your wife or your husband. You need to stop flirting with that gal or that guy at work because you're not married to them. I believe that he'd say if you're dealing in areas of addiction in your life, then let others know. Come beside someone that they can come beside you and encourage you and strengthen you and walk in that journey with you. Don't pretend to be something that's not real in your life. And if you're struggling in areas, whatever the addiction is, don't stay hidden in the shadows. Don't allow the enemy to keep you in deceit and lies. I believe that John would say, you know, if you really are following Christ, you need to honor him in your finances. That's all of your finances. That's in every aspect of your finances. I believe that John would say, you know what, if you really are truly born again, then you need to be striving for purity, purity of heart, purity of mind, and purity of the acts that you do day in and day out. You need to honor God in your life, at work, at home, and in your private life. Secret things that no one knows except you. What kind of fruit are you truly producing? And aren't these really the same issues that we see all through the New Testament? James speaks of it when he says that if you see a brother or sister that are naked or destitute for food, one of you says, hey, depart in peace, be warned, be filled. Hey, Lord bless you, I'll pray for your need. Okay, I added that, but it's in essence the principle. But you don't give him the things that are needed for the body. What does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. The Apostle John in his letters to the churches in 1 John writes nearly the same thing. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this, we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. How do I know that I'm saved? I see the fruits of salvation in my life. So what's hanging on your tree? It's not only the care of others. It's in every area. It's in every aspect of our lives. I could go sin after sin and match scripture after scripture, but more than anything else, beloved, it is an issue of the heart. As John knew and, and as Jesus declared a little bit later, it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. 
We might also say, and I feel that it fits the principle here, that it's out of the abundance of the heart that a man or a woman live their life. You know, at least you ought to know well enough, and as I've shared earlier, I'm not speaking of a works-based salvation. We don't gain our salvation by works. The word of God's very clear on that fact, not by works of righteousness that we have done, but it's according to his mercy that he's saved us. Paul tells us also in Ephesians chapter 2, for by grace you've been saved and that not of yourselves. You've been saved by faith and that not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now that's Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, but what does Ephesians 2, 10 say? It says that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to be able to enjoy heaven forever. Well, that's one of the benefits of it. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to be able to enjoy the fellowship of other Christians. That's one of the benefits of it, but that's not what he says here. He says we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to what? To do good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's the kind of lives we ought to be living. The world outside ought to see that we aren't moving down the same stream with everything that's dead and decaying. We are the ones that ought to be swimming upstream. It's much, much harder, I admit that. It's much harder to swim upstream as all the dead and decaying stuff is just floating downstream. It's much harder to stand in the darkness and be a beacon of light in the midst of that darkness because suddenly you're the focus of everyone. Robert was sharing with me about someone within our fellowship that's in a job situation where he's trying to do the right thing and yet all around him there's just wickedness, there's, there's evil happening within the, the employees of this place. And he encouraged him, man, don't leave, just stay and be a light. Be a light in the midst of that place. You know, if I were to take bushel after bushel of apples and tie them on my tangelo tree in everywhere, every place possible, you know what? It'd still be a tangelo tree, wouldn't it? And that fruit would get rotten really quick. You can't do these things on your own. You can't do these things if you're not truly born again. My tree bears tangelos. Why? Because it's a tangelo tree. John told the people, bear fruits worthy of repentance. Jesus says, by their fruits, you will know them. I ask you this morning, so what's hanging on your tree? I close this morning with a prayer that Paul gives to the church of Philippi. I think it's appropriate because I have the same thoughts for you as a congregation. Paul said, and so I say to you guys too, and this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, and that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Learning more about Jesus is the single most important thing we can do as Christians. 
as we carefully consider how Jesus lived, we see beautiful examples that can apply to our lives. Though the entire Bible is rich with symbols and images that point to Jesus, the Gospels are grand central station for who Jesus is. Join us each day as Pastor David teaches through the Gospel of Luke. You can get a free copy of today's teaching at our website. Simply log on to theopenword.com. That's theopenword.com. Although the open word is a huge blessing, we pray that it's not your only source for the teaching of the Word of God. It's our hope that you're attending a church that teaches God's Word from beginning to end. Here's Tracy with more information about our service times here at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. Maybe you're listening right now in Casa Grande and you don't have a home church. We want to take this time to invite you to join us for worship. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. at 6.30 p.m. every Wednesday and Saturday. For more information, call us at 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Or log on to theopenword.com and follow the link to the church website. Thanks, Tracy. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Please join us next time for the next edition of The Open Word.